It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Simon Sinek once said, There is a difference between listening and waiting for your turn to speak. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? How can I effectively reach out and connect with others? Our theme text, Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Joining us today as well is Julie. Hi, gentlemen. Looking forward to communicating with you. All right. (laughs) And again, how can I effectively reach out and connect with others? Coming up in today's episode, communication is much harder than it looks. To figure out how to do it successfully, we're going to observe how Jesus did did it. And once we have that foundation in place, we're going to look at managing the challenges of connecting with those outside of our faith. Finally, we're going to apply those principles to better connecting with those we're comfortable with. So a lot of work to do here, but first, let's clarify what communication means and why it is so important in our Christian lives. Never in the history of humanity have we had such a profound ability to communicate with others. From the palm of our hand, we can see and speak with individuals and groups all over the world at any time of day or night. We can message and share and like in countless ways, yet in the history of humanity, we have never been so disassociated, so disconnected, and so dysfunctional. We are more polarized, more self-centered, and more alone than we ever have been. So how did we get here, and how do we fix it? How do we find our way through this technology-driven world and actually connect with others? As Christians especially, what do we need to do to be connected with those around us in a way that can bless and encourage them? According to the Bible, what does it mean to communicate, and why is it so important in Christianity? This is the core question. What does it mean to communicate, and why is it that important in Christianity? We're going to start with a soundbite from a TED Talk by Marcus Alexander Velasquez, The Art of Effective Communication. He's going to give us a sense of what communication means to begin with. Communication can be simply defined as the delivering of information. Now, effective communication is when that information is actually received by your audience. Because see, it doesn't matter how great your delivery is. Your communication is ineffective if the information isn't actually received by your audience. And I'll take it a step further. Not only should information be received by your audience, but it also needs to be understood by your audience. I truly believe that communication is mostly effective when your audience is able to take the information that you've given them and then relay it to another third party. So this is a big deal because it's not just talking. It's having whatever it is that we are portraying or or expounding on received, processed, and able to be passed on to someone else 
in its original form, not with my bias, but in its original form, it is a lot harder than we might think. So, so let's kind of look at communication and now look at it from a, a biblical perspective. Julie, wh- what do we have biblically here? Well, in the Bible, it's really more based on actions than words. So we look at the words used to describe communication in the New Testament, and they're all about how we act and not just how we say. So biblical communication is deeper than just, let's say, trying to understand somebody's feelings. It's focused on really being involved with that person in order to build them up. So that's the focus we want to have going forward. The Bible talks about communication in a different way. Jonathan, there are several words in the New Testament for communication. Tell us about them. Put them in perspective for us. All right. Well, the first is to share with others. And Galatians 6, 6 reads, let him that is taught in the word communicate. So it means share with others. The second word means partnership. Hebrews 13, 16, but to do good and to communicate or have partnership with, forget not. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. The third word means communicative or liberal, and that's found in 1 Timothy 6.18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And the final one is Philippians 4.14. The word means to share in company with, that is co-participation in. And that reads, notwithstanding ye have done well, that ye do communicate with or co-participate with my afflictions. So all of these words carry the sense of participation in another's life and not merely reaching out to it. The main Greek word meaning partnership you described, Jonathan, is koinonia. That's communicate in scripture. This thought of koinonia means to be liberal with your money, time, and effort towards others. It's friendship, sharing, communion, partnership, participation. So it's a lot bigger than I thought. It's not just talking to you. It's that I am contributing to your life so that your life can be better. And that's what we want to begin to absorb as we talk about communication from a biblical perspective. It's the sharing and the actual contribution from me to you, from my life to your life, and adding some quality to your life because of our communication. And that's why in the Bible, a lot of communication was in financially supporting those who couldn't be supported or helping those out who were disadvantaged. That's what communicating was in the Bible, building others up. That's what it is. Now we get to the why. Why is it so important for Christians to be good communicators? Why do we have to work so hard at it? Let's go back to uh, The Art of Effective Communication, TED Talk by Marcus Alexander Velasquez, and get his input as he begins to develop what communication looks like. Number one on the list is wasted time. We waste so much time due to ineffective communication, and I highly doubt anyone here wants to waste their time on purpose. Secondly, we also waste emotions. Because see, along with wasted time, conversations drag on much longer than they need to. And with that, our emotions drag on much longer than they need to. See, ineffective communication also leads to misunderstandings. And misunderstandings could lead to the eventual loss of relationships. No two conversations are ever the same. And that's because no two people are ever the same. Now, there may be similarities, but you will never find a carbon copy conversation. 
So you have to learn how to navigate through questions and rebuttals. You may need to explain an idea in a different way if your audience didn't receive it the first time. Wasted emotions, conversations that drag on longer than they need to, misunderstandings. Ooh, this sounds like marriage sometimes because <laughs> men and women are so different in how they show appreciation, how they listen, how they communicate. Okay, here's a classic example of how not being direct causes misunderstandings. So just yesterday, my husband and I were driving and I saw the ice cream store and I said, hey, the ice cream store is open. And he said, oh, yes, it is. And he kept driving. <laughs> and an hour later, I'm like, so why didn't you stop for ice cream when I asked? And he was confused and he said, but I didn't hear you ask to stop for ice cream. So the answer is you always stop for ice cream unless it's when I'm on a diet and then you never stop for ice cream. You should know what to do by now or not to do. It's true. Yeah. See, and Jonathan, that's why we have such issues, right? It is. <laughs> because it you've got to read the mind. And if we communicate and say, oh, here, Julie, how about this? Oh, the ice cream store is open. Maybe we should stop. Would you like, or you should say, would you like us to stop, darling? <laughs> <laughs> the point is being more direct. I think that's right. what we want to get from that. So, and, and you know, it's, it's a silly example, but it's a powerful principle about being direct. So let's make sure we take it for what it is. As we unfold communication in, in today's podcast, we're going to introduce several effectiveness traits. Now, there's lots of them. And we're not saying you have to master all of these traits in order to be able to communicate. What we're saying is communication comes across in a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of things to be aware of. And that's why Seeker Rewind, the show notes, is so important because you've got this written for you. So we're going to unfold these traits as we go through. The why of communication. Why is it so important for Christians to be communicators? Julie, what's the first why? Because we're responsible for furthering of the gospel, and therefore we need to do it as well as we can. That's in Colossians 4, 5 to 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of your opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And so, Rick, um, the effectiveness trait uh, we're going to be talking about first is being willing to be vulnerable. All right, because it's talking about conducting yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Be willing to be vulnerable. Be willing to step out for a higher purpose. After all, we are called ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ for a reason. We need to be willing to step outside of ourselves into that place of vulnerability to open a door for communication. You know, practical example of dealing with outsiders, I had to call the phone company the other day with some problems. I was put on hold a long time and they hung up on me accidentally, but I prayed to stay calm and not be annoyed <laughs> as my issues were resolved after about an hour. And I said to the person helping me, hey, I'm sorry to have so many questions. I bet you regret being the one to pick up my call. And he said, no, he was very grateful because people are yelling at him all day long. Yeah. And he says he gets very upset and stressed every day. And it meant so much that I was just being kind. So I'm very glad that I didn't yell in frustration, which was my first inclination. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your opportunity. It does make a big difference. So, you know, that being vulnerable, it means having that wisdom. What's the next why of the importance of Christian communication? 
We have a responsibility to be a motivating influence for the brotherhood to the best of our ability. And I like Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 for this. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And our effectiveness trait is be thoughtful. All right, be thoughtful. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Communicate in a considered and wise way and not as an emotional reaction. It's really important that we decide to communicate rather than feel like we have to. There's a big difference between those two things. When things are uncomfortable, we might avoid direct communication, but that can be destructive. We might find it easier to talk to somebody else about that brother or sister to get them on our side, to see things our way. But under the guise of getting advice, we end up evil speaking and passing on unnecessary negative information. Have you encountered that ever, Rick? (laughs) Unfortunately, I shouldn't laugh because it's a sad thing, but yes, because it is so easy to, to, to chirp to somebody else rather than deal with a really difficult issue. And because going back to the source is, is just, it's hard and it requires a lot of courage and we're going to unfold some of the traits that will help us do that as we go. But yes, that is a, that's a big thing. What's the next why for the importance of Christian communication? Well, we've got a responsibility to honor our physical family relationships in a God-honoring way, Colossians 3, 18 to 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not embitter against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Well, our next effectiveness trait, be fully engaged. And especially when you look at the family relationships, be fully engaged in helping your family be stronger as individuals and as a family. The closer our relationships, the more fully engaged our communication really needs to be. I've learned that the hard way recently. I have had to make a promise to my husband that when he's talking to me, I literally have to take my phone, put it down and not touch it because (laughs) it was getting way out of hand where I was constantly texting, emailing and trying to listen to him at the same time. But now I physically readjust to give him my full attention. And I promised him that I would do that. I'll tell you, Julie, that is a profound promise to make for it's very difficult but it's profound for (laughs) all of us thank you for having the courage to say that out loud what's our next why for christian communication oh well this one is our most sacred communication so we better get this one right we have a responsibility to pray in a way that is honest respectful and sacred well here's a scripture we love to quote john 14 13 Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, here's the other side of the coin, James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And uh, I hate to admit this, but a few times lately, because I've been so tired due to our recent move, a few bites into my meal, I realized I forgot to pray. 
And then I thank God and ask for forgiveness for disrespecting him. Uh, he is the father of every good and perfect gift. And I not only need to be fully engaged with all communications, but especially with my heavenly father. And now that brings us to the next effectiveness trait, be humble. Be humble. And and, and people might hear you say, it's just, just saying thank you to God for your food. But the way you present it, Jonathan, is he is the, the giver of all good and perfect gifts. Never underestimate the sacred value of his presence in our lives. Be humble. All of our communication be based, should be based on honoring God and not ourselves. And that's really when we pray, it is to honor God. It's to lay ourselves before God because we honor him as the Almighty Father. So very, very powerful. So as we, as we, as we wrap up uh, this portion, this, this uh, portion of looking at the importance of communication, developing Christian communication, Jonathan, what do we have? Effectively reaching out and communicating stems from a sincere desire to positively touch the lives of others. This kind of communication does not happen by accident. Rather, it happens as a result of thoughtful effort. It's a result of thinking it through. You're not winging it or just doing the bare minimum to get by. And that's important. Think it through. So the why of communication is obvious as well as motivating. Good communication equals a good quality of life. As Christians, our best example of communicating with others is Jesus. What can we learn from him? <laughs> what can we learn from him? Because Jesus was perfect, his ability to communicate was far beyond us. But that does not mean we can't follow his example. Jesus knew how the human mind works and how human emotions drive us. He used that knowledge to show those around him truth and help them see beyond their limits. So Jesus had a way to get to people. In, in, with, with honesty, with integrity, with godliness, with wisdom, with strength and power. And we want to look at how he did it and see what we can learn. There's four basic ways, and, and, and there's certainly more than this, but four basic ways that Jesus communicated. The first we're going to look at is Jesus communicated with power. So what can we learn from that? He communicated with power. Let's go, Jonathan, to the example in Matthew 14, 26 and 27. This is Peter walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a spirit, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So you think about his communicating to them. First of all, the fact that he's walking on water is, is communicating with power. Because it's not physically possible. It is a miracle. There's no other way to describe that. And then he tells them, It's me. Don't be afraid. It's not something out of the ordinary, except for me, which I am out of the ordinary because I'm working with God's spirit. But there's a great power behind his communication, and it's very positive here. Another example of Jesus communicating with power is in the raising of Lazarus. Jonathan, let's go to John 11, 41 to 43. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Well, our next effectiveness trait is be dynamic based on God's power working in your life. Now, we can't do what Jesus did, but we can emulate the power source 
and, and work with that. While we can't physically do those things, we can't work those miracles, obviously, we can draw on God's Spirit for direction, strength, and courage. So Jesus communicated with power. So can we. It's God's power, God's Spirit, and we need to be driven by it, not by how we feel. Let's go back to The Art of Effective Communication uh, by Marcus Alexander Velasquez. And here he's going to talk about the problem of setting up your objective for communication. And, and there's, there's a lot of wisdom here. See, problems arise when communication and conversations become more about the person wanting to be heard than actually delivering information. Here's an example. Let's say you're angry at someone. Instead of directly telling them that you're angry, instead of directly telling them why you're angry, and potentially sitting down and coming to a peaceful resolution, you may give them the cold shoulder. You might leave their texts unread. I can't stand that, by the way. You might huff and puff when you're around them and slam doors. Not that any of you here have ever done that. But we do all these things hoping that this message will get across, that they'll understand that I'm mad at them, instead of directly telling them that I'm mad at them. Well, this isn't good. <laughs> we feel like that person should know what they did and should apologize without me having to explain it to them. But this is an immature reaction, and we need to try to do better. We do. And that's where communicating with the power of God's Spirit can help us overcome the power of our own ego, because those are two powers that fight against each other. we got to choose which one we listen to. So Jesus communicated with power. The next way he communicated was with focus. Jesus communicated with focus. Let's go back to Peter walking on the water, because there's a very interesting point here that brings out this focus. Jonathan, Matthew 14, 30 and 31. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Jesus' key communication here wasn't you of little faith, why did you doubt? We always look at that and say, well, that's the communication. No, 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 no. The key communication was immediately stretching out his hand and taking hold of him. The, the waves are, 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 are everywhere. There's wind. There's probably rain. It's chaotic. And he's focused on saving Peter. And he reaches out and is able to pull him out of the water and bring him back to a place where he can now look at life again. That's the focus of Jesus. I'm taking care of him. It's that kind of focus. He also displayed that focus to all of his apostles just before his death. The night before his crucifixion, here's what it says about his focus on them. John 13, 3 to 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Our effectiveness trait here is be clearly driven. So Jesus before he is going to go through this horrific night of trial and, and beatings and whipping and, and leading to crucifixion, he knows everything has been culminated. And what does he do? He focuses in on those he's going to leave behind. And his communication was to wash their feet. His first impulse was to show them how to serve, how to serve humbly. That 
is communicating with focus, considering all the other things that were happening in his life. So when we are clearly driven, our commun- when we communicate with purpose and passion, uh, that is fu- fueled by being a disciple of Christ, that's what being clearly driven is about. It's, it's the passion of being a disciple, not have anything else but that. Be focused. So here's an important question. Are we, as you said, fueled by being a disciple of Christ when we are spouting off on social media or in the types of photos we post or comments we make or lifestyles we support? Does all of our communication, verbal, digital, body language, properly and sacredly reflect Jesus and our Heavenly Father? And if all Christians did this, I'll tell you, the internet would be a much nicer place. Well, I think that a good way to measure it, Julie, is that if we are spouting off, we are not being clearly driven. I think that if, if it, I was spouting off, okay, then that, that was just an emotional steam. That wasn't godliness. That's emotional steam. Godliness isn't spouting off. Godliness is, is, is giving a focused instruction, suggestion, direction, opening a door. It's a different kind of thing. So if I'm spouting off, no. I am not. That's not communication. No, no, it's, right. it's, it, it just isn't. So communicate with focus. That's what Jesus did. Jesus further communicated with stories. Several, three stories that we're going to touch on very quickly. After the Pharisees challenged Jesus' authority uh, in, in terms of Jesus, you know, healing on the Sabbath and so forth and so on, here's what we read in Matthew 21, 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. So Jesus is responding to the Pharisees challenging him by telling them a story. He's giving them a story. It's giving them something to think about that they need to hear that's not going to necessarily turn them off. It's going to make them curious, make them think, make them take a step to say, what is this? He not only did that with the Pharisees, he did that with uh, John the Baptist's followers, actually. Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. But no one puts a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. So even with John the Baptist followers, he told them stories periodically to draw them along, and they'd say, what does that mean? The accomplishment was he got them to think. Jesus, we know Jesus told stories, told parables to the public, but he also told stories, parables, to his own followers. Matthew 7, verses 3 and 4. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? So he's giving stories to everyone to draw their attention, to get them involved, to get them thinking. What's our effectiveness straight here, Jonathan? Well, it is be engaging. <laughs> it's simple. Draw those you communicate in with thoughtful challenges. That's how you draw them in. Uh, Rick, I appreciate oh, I'm sorry, sorry, Julie, go for go it. Go ahead. Well, I, I just, you had mentioned about those Pharisees. I appreciated that the stories were a way to teach the Pharisees without their defenses immediately going up. They might not have liked what Jesus said, but at least they stopped long enough to listen, consider, and then fume about it. <laughs> and Rick and Julie, um, if you think about it, assumptions are the arch enemy of clear communication. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, and it's really important to understand that. When we assume, when we spout off, we're not engaging in real, true, valuable communication. So assumptions fit right in with spouting off. It just isn't going to work for you or for the other person. Let's go back to the art of effective communication, Marcus Alexander Velasquez, and he's going to talk here in this in this very short soundbite about defining terms and defining your goal. This is, again, very important. Defining your terms is huge, and this is why. You can end up using the same word as someone else and having different definitions as to what that word means. And one of the best ways to clear this up is by asking the following question. What does that mean to you? What does that word mean to you? What does that phrase mean to you? What does that sentence mean to you? Because that'll clear up confusion. Now, before you start, you need to know what your end goal is. What do I want my audience to receive? What's the information or message that I want them to receive? This is really helpful when discussing doctrinal issues. You know, we, did, we disagree, but how are you defining the thousand-year reign of Christ? What do you mean by soul? What exactly is the Holy Spirit? You know, we seem to disagree, but we might actually be saying the same thing in a different way. And so if we ask the questions we can actually be able to find out more what, what somebody is talking about. And, and interestingly enough, the next point is Jesus communicated with questions. He asked a lot of questions. He did a lot of teaching, but he asked a lot of questions. One example, Jesus, he, when he was healing on the Sabbath, which is a very controversial thing with Pharisees, Mark 3, verses 3 to 4. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. So he knew they didn't like it, so he asked them. He asked them a straightforward question to give them an opportunity to step up and speak their opinion. He asked. He asked a question when he was handling an inappropriate request from two of his uh, apostles, James and John. This is in Mark 10, 35 and 36. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? He could have said, I am not going to do whatever you ask from me. Shame on you. But no, he drew it out of them. What do you want me to do for you? Later on in that same chapter of Mark, it's interesting, a very similar question when a man is blind and needs healing. Mark 10, 50 to 51. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus, and answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. So Jesus asked a question again. Now, he knew the answer, but he asked because it was important for that man to tell him. And that's a big lesson for us. Ask so they can tell you, because then you can hear it and then you can understand it a little better. What's our effectiveness trait here, Jonathan? It is be an obvious, willing, and attentive listener. Those we communicate with should know their thinking, circumstances, and challenges are important to us. How can they know? Because we let them know that we're listening. My cousin Art, this reminds me, he would throw out what I call question bombs to his co-workers about the Bible just to get him thinking. So maybe something like, yeah, so where are all those people right now who lived before Jesus was born on earth? And they'd be like, hmm, 
<laughs> and they'd come to him later and talk more about it. So I think this could help stimulate thinking upon spiritual lines. You know, just throw out a little question or two. Questions are huge because it, it turns the communication over to the other person. And when we do that, we are making a great statement of profound inclusiveness. And we want to make sure we stay there in our communication. So Jonathan, developing Christian communication, what have we learned in this segment? Effectively reaching out and communicating is built upon our ability to do as Jesus did. Our clarity of purpose needs to be godly, and our passion, examples, and questions need to be focused and understandable. Again, this is not off the cuff. This is thinking things through and asking questions that draw others in, using the power and the focus and, and, and the stories like Jesus did so we can actually make progress with this communication. With an example as powerful as Jesus, it's hard to not, to not know what to do. But now we just need to do what we're taught. Communication is hardest in the presence of disagreement. How do we overcome that challenge? You know, you keep asking questions. <laughs> Every conversation about reaching out to communicate really has to begin with, why are we doing it? If we're looking to fan the flames of dissension or emphatically show someone the error of their ways, look, we might as well just stop right there. Let's communicate because we want to build others up. That should be a reason for our communication. And, and, and you know, when we're talking to someone we disagree with, what's our motivation? Is my motivation saying, man, are you wrong? And I'm going to show everybody how wrong you are. Is it, I want to be recognize that the one who has the right answer here? I mean, what is it? And if we're in that camp, we better get out because it's not going to help. doesn't mean that when you communicate with somebody who, who is wrong, you don't deal with the wrong. I, I've had experiences of dealing with, with, with individuals, Christians, with moral issues, big moral issues, and, and sitting down and, and, and going through these things and seeing that, well, I believe that I should be able to do this. And it's clearly not a scriptural moral issue. And having to deal with that firmly but kindly and to say, so what you're saying is that you know more than all of these other Christians that you've respected for your whole life. Is that what you're telling me? You know more about this issue? And by the way, where in the scriptures is that? And literally, in one of those experiences, I actually had my Bible and I slid it across the table and I said, show me. I want to see it. And like, silent. show me where this is okay right. that you're doing this? Yeah. Oh, boy. You, you, yeah. And, and, and what, there was dead silence, and there was sweat dripping down the brow. And, yeah. and what that did, though, is it opened the door to actually talk about it, because there was a challenge. And it wasn't to say, I'm going to beat you into submission. It was to say, prove it by Scripture. And if you can't prove our actions by Scripture, why are we doing them? But you could see what their thought process was. Right. And why they were doing what they were doing. That's very helpful. Right, right. So we, ha we, we can deal with hard things and be firm, but still be communicating as in the process. And as dedicated Christians, you know, you're saying we can reach out, we can connect with those on the other side of issues, because you use the power of reasoning, graciously applied, that's important. Um, but I have a, the following examples we're going to go into of the Apostle Paul has to do directly uh, with witnessing to God's truth. And the principles applied in this next just beautiful oratory are relevant to all of our dealings with those in the world. 
So the example here is the Apostle Paul in Athens. He's waiting for others of the Brotherhood to arrive, and he comes across a situation. He's in a very pagan place, and here's what happens. We're going to look at Acts 17, verses 16 to 31. We're going to take it in a lot of pieces. Jonathan, let's start with Acts 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. He did not like what he saw. His feelings were provoked, and he looks at this and says, this isn't right. And he's a passionate individual. This was not a happy thing for him to see. And, and feelings provoked easily often and often trigger emotion. So Paul being provoked could have triggered a lot of emotion, but instead it triggered positive action. Here's what he does, Acts 17, uh, verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. So he established himself as a thought-out influence and a steady presence. He was going there every day, and he was reasoning. He wasn't yelling at anybody. He was reasoning with them. And he established himself small step by small step by small step as, hey, this guy's got some things going on, and, and we're having conversation with him. He wasn't condemning anybody. And so that opens up an opportunity. Acts 17, verses 19 and 20. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. He had planted seeds with integrity, with patience, with kindness. Paul's logic roused curiosity and response and opened a significant door of future communication. He opened a door through that patient feeding. And this brings us to another effectiveness trait of communication. Jonathan, what is it? And he was a great example, Rick. Be patient. Simple. Be patient. Effective communication can be a slow process of seed planting and cultivating. And understand, we plant those seeds and we want to cultivate them. Drowning a seedling will not make it grow faster. When you want to just make it grow and you just want to, here, here's all the water you could possibly want. No, no, <laughs> That's good. No, That's good. You'll drown it. Don't do yeah. that. Cultivate it as it needs to be cultivated. Let's go back to the art of effective communication, Marcus Alexander Velasquez. And he talks here about what, how, and the importance of trust. You may have heard it said, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. Well, guess what? It is what you say. You have to know what you're talking about. One of the worst things is being a part of a conversation, listening to someone talk about something you know they know nothing about. And secondly, it is how you say it. Tonality matters. You know, if you're speaking to someone with a harsh or abrasive tone, if you're angry or condescending towards them or any number of negative tones, that will hinder your audience from receiving your message. And I want to add a third layer to this. Because it's not just what is said or how it's said, but the third layer is this. Is what's being said coming from a trustworthy source? See, trust is a big part of communication. If your audience doesn't trust you, then your words will fall on deaf ears. The Apostle Paul is a great example because while ideally we want to communicate face-to-face -face whenever possible, here, none of us have ever met him. He's never texted us. And in fact, we're not even sure what he looks like. 
but we feel we know him. We trust him. We love the Apostle Paul. We have enough of a complete picture of his dedication to Christ that we can work with a common goal because we trust his motives, his words, his behavior. We can follow him as he followed Christ. That says a lot. Well, that provokes a mirror question, looking in the mirror at yourself saying, am I trustworthy? Yeah. Am I trustworthy like the Apostle Paul? Can others follow me as I follow Christ? Do I represent that which I am looking to communicate well? Those are the kinds of questions we really need to ask ourselves. Let's get back to Paul now, because now he's speaking at the Areopagus. Now, as a result of his wise communication, as his patience, his planting seeds, Paul has the undivided attention of a broad audience here. We're in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So he is walking through and he's relating to them. Here's what I saw amongst all of your expressions of your religiousness. Let me translate. Amongst all of your heinous paganism... <laughs> but see, he didn't say that. Mm-mm. He said, I see that you're striving for something higher. And I found, he complimented them. Yes, he did. I found this inscription to an unknown God. Jonathan, this brings us to another effectiveness trait. What is it? Be interested. And that's so simple. Be interested. He showed them he was interested. Effective communication is best demonstrated by having genuine respect for the stance of those we communicate with. Even if they're misguided, have a genuine respect, even if it's going down the wrong path, because that's how you can connect and help them correct. And of all people, Paul knew the value of giving passion just a turn in the right direction to make all the difference. So instead of attacking them, he builds on their devotion so they can listen because they're not defensive. He's not attacking them. It's amazing what happens when you take defensiveness away from the person you're attempting to communicate with. It opens incredible, incredible doors. So now he has opened that door. With with this attention and respect in place, he now unfolds the core message of his communication. And we're still in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 23. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. So here is the transition point. He has complimented them. They have his trust, and he is moving forward. He said, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. I have the answer that you need. Paul then describes the power and love of their, quote, unknown, unquote, God. We're in Acts 17, verses 24 to 27. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made for one, from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of one of us. He's not tearing down the idols. He builds up the real God because the true God is bigger than such things. So, and and the important part of that is he doesn't have to tear down their idols. Why? Because if he shows them the true God, 
individually, they'll tear down their own idols. And that's the beauty of this kind of communication. It provokes them to positive, godly action. You don't have to tear it down for them. Help them to see that they should tear it down themselves. His explanation here is captivating. It's inviting. He then expands God's role in their lives. Acts 17, verses 28 and 29. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. So he quotes one of their own poets, again, showing his interest in them, and he's explaining to them what the true God is and what he's not. You can't express the true God through stone and image. It doesn't work. He's bigger than that. So he has educated them in this marvelous, marvelous way of communication. Paul would conclude this whole big lesson with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This shocking truth to them is only revealed after building a powerful case to support it. He built the foundation first. So he tells the truth, but it's in a way that he keeps them captivated. You know, the whole way along, he builds them up. And then at the very culmination, he asks them to consider another way. And they're all primed for that and, and ready to go. And that's what he does, Acts 17, 30 to 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So you have this powerful opening up of Jesus, of who he is, what he is, and the role that he plays. Now, some received it and said, wow, we got to hear more. Others said, oh, this guy's crazy. Mission accomplished. It got them to think, it got them to see, and it got them to take a step one way or another. And look, just because everybody didn't agree didn't mean he wasn't successful. It meant that he got his point across. What's the next effectiveness trait, Jonathan? Be willing to speak truth with wisdom. It's one thing to talk truth. It's another to speak truth with wisdom. Effective communication expresses the most profound truths in a wise and measured approach. The point is not to speak, but in fact to be heard. Talking to the heart of the person you're communicating with, that's what we're talking about. Not jabbering, talking to their heart with wisdom. So as we develop Christian communication, Jonathan, what do we have? Effectively reaching out and communicating God's plan to those outside of our faith is challenging, but not impossible. Being patient and legitimately interested in their perspective can open the door for wise words. Those are words that are easy to say. They're not easy to do. To be patient and legitimately interested in somebody's perspective is hard. But if you want to communicate, that's the way you open the door. Effective communication is really an art. If we apply thought, sincerity, wisdom, and patience, it can really work. What are the differences when communicating with those who share common ground with us? The principles of effective communication are always the same, but there are different ways to apply them depending on who we're engaged with. 
sharing common ground does not necessarily make communication easier because we tend to take far too much for granted when we may have issues. And, and Julie, your example earlier about talking with your husband and having to put the phone down, we have to learn to not take things for granted, but to put that, that, that clear-cut attention right in place. We want to be effective communicators, and effective communication works both ways, in those things that we say and in what we're willing to hear as well. Effective communication, especially with those close to us, is best expressed through actions that support our words. And that's what the word communicate, remember right at the beginning of the podcast, that's what the word for communication in the Bible means. It's actions. It's building up actions. It's supportive actions. Some great scriptures we're going to introduce. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. And this was our, our theme scripture. There's a powerful principle here. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Paul is saying you can either serve one another through love, or you can bite and devour one another. And by the way, if you're biting and devouring one another, make sure you're not consumed, because that's what's going to happen. You're going to consume each other, and it's a lose-lose proposition. Instead, through love, serve others. What's our trait here, Jonathan? It's be service-oriented. Effective communication only works when we have the best interest of those we are communicating with at the forefront of our exchanges. My communication should be for the purpose of the best interest of that purpose person. That's what where effective communication can begin to take off. And that's Konania, actually contributing right. with our communication. But it's important to acknowledge that there are feelings, and there's still an important part of this. When unexpressed feelings, especially volatile ones like hurt, suspicion, or anger, lie just below the surface of a discussion, real communication understanding doesn't happen. Feelings should be honestly and appropriately expressed and you have to be respectful not to minimize the other person's feelings or tell them not to feel that way, especially your wives. Don't do that. It makes us mad. <laughs> you heard it and here And they'll first. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, they won't. Or, yeah. They will stomp around and slam uh, a door, but you may not know. The key is to be aware and to have their best interest in mind right. all the time. Brings respectful. Us, yeah, absolutely. And and that that's the core of this whole thing. It's respect, and it really comes through humility. And we're going to hear about that in our next soundbite from The Art of Effective Communication by Marcus Alexander Velasquez. Humility. Humility is key when it comes to effective communication. And there are really two keys to humility. Number one is that you can always be wrong. You can always be wrong. When you understand that you can always be wrong, you can still present confidently. But when you understand that you can be wrong, you are then willing and able to listen to opposing viewpoints, listening to other people's opinions, listening to other people's arguments and their facts. The second key to humility is this. It is not about you. It's about your audience. See, when you understand that it's not about you and it's about your audience, you will then present information the best way that your audience will receive it, not necessarily the way you think it best sounds. 
Britt, can you talk a little bit about creating the topics and the outlines for Christian questions? And we take diverse listeners, different ages, genders, countries, level of biblical knowledge, and it seems a little overwhelming to try to be all things to all people. How does humility fit into the mission of Christian questions? Well, first of all, it is overwhelming. I'll tell you that unequivocally. From the, <laughs> 22 years of? 23 years, uh, 23 years of being overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. No no question about that. And and the one of the keys, though, is to listen, just like we've been talking about. And when you get input from listeners or input from the CQ volunteers, and there's, I don't know, there's 40 or 50 of them. They're, they're everywhere. And you get input. And, you, you know, what about this? Have you ever considered this subject? And, and listeners ask questions. You take that and try to say, okay, is the Lord speaking through their question, their concern, their suggestion, their thinking? And then you look at scriptures and you say, what are the scriptures telling me? Not what do I think I should do with this, but what are the scriptures telling me? How are the scriptures telling me to treat this? And this is a constant struggle and a constant growth pattern that I have to deal with every single week. And some weeks it works a whole lot easier than others. Other weeks it's I, I'm I, because I, I I'm too too much out of hand. <laughs> okay, my 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 own voice gets too loud, and I have to settle it down so I can hear the scriptures' guidance and hear the questions that need answering, and put it together and say, by God's grace, let's try to do it this way. So this is hard. This is this is hard. And the bottom line here at Christian Questions is we don't want people to hear our voices. What we want is people to hear God's truth. That's what this is. That's the whole reason that we do this. Effective communication, especially with those close to us, positions us to break down divisive barriers. It all begins with acknowledging the core truth of our relationships. Now, again, Ephesians, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 13 to 22. And as we go through these verses, Paul is unfolding the difficulty of the early Christian church with Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. They were on different sides of a lot of issues. And he, in these verses, is directly dealing with the divisiveness of those who should be connected. Here's how he starts out, Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So he's introducing the subject in Ephesians by saying, you who were far away, you Gentile Christians, you've been brought near. How? Because of the blood of Jesus. Not because of your character, because of the blood of Jesus. Not because I witnessed to you, because of the blood of Jesus. Let's get it straight. What's the foundation? It's the blood of Jesus. So you have that foundation. Next, effective communication, especially with those close to us, and in this case they had issues, but they were still to be close, builds on our solid common ground. So the Apostle Paul now builds on that common ground of Jesus, Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you, who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus broke down the dividing wall. He's the one. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. He did it. 
And because he did it, he's not on my side or your side. He's on our side. Let's use his actions, his sacrifice of taking the law and saying the law is not appropriate for you now. It's not going to block a Gentile Christian from coming in, and it's not going to hinder a Jewish Christian from moving forward. Let's take it away and let's work together. And he preached to you who were far away, and he preached to you who were near, all together, because we're supposed to be one body. And Jonathan, this smells like another effectiveness trait, doesn't it? It does. First thing is be willing to take the first step, and the second step, and the third. All right. It's, effective communication is not easy. That's what you're saying here. Effective That's communication right. is driven to connect and it's therefore willing to slowly cultivate fragile beginnings. And sometimes they need extra attention. And part of the whole reason why we're doing this particular episode is we want to really look at ourselves. How can we contribute to the process rather than shutting down the process in all of our relationships? And sometimes I think that means making more of an effort than we even thought we would have to. But it's worth that effort because it's godly. And, and you know... More than an effort than we thought we'd have to, or more than an effort than we would like to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's better said. Stepping yeah. outside of ourselves. And that's what the Apostle Paul is showing the Christians uh, in the early church in, in Ephesus. Now, next point. Next effective communication applies that common ground to all who are being engaged. So if we're going to effectively communicate, we're going to apply the common ground to make sure that everybody has that application. Paul does this in Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Every one of you, no matter your background, is built on the same foundation. You're all the same. That's the point. It's clear. And we need to get on board with that. He is effectively communicating to the two sides that are at odds with one another. Further, effective communication makes room for the conclusion of that common ground to flourish. It makes room to have things flourish. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So all together you're being built Koinonia, remember that Greek word, Julie, you kept talking about, that partnership, that working together. Even if you come from different backgrounds and you don't have everything perfectly in common, you're still together, act that way. What's the effectiveness trait here? Be willing to change or compromise, but only when appropriate. See, here is a big point. Compromise can be appropriate and it can be inappropriate. Sometimes, to effectively communicate, we need to adjust and adapt our thinking and approach. This should always be done, always be done within the confines of not compromising godliness. That never gets compromised. Compromise my preferences, but don't ever compromise godliness. Yeah, but it's hard to sometimes know when to refuse compromise. This can get tricky if there's painful communication where, like, for example, you talked about earlier, maybe somebody you know is morally living outside the lines of biblical principles. Do we compromise or do we draw a line in the sand, especially if it's someone very close to us? When are we wasting time instead of investing time? And how do you know? And, and that, that's a good question. And, and when somebody is in a moral issue like that, you, 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 you reach out. 
You communicate with them. You identify with them. You find out where they are. You listen to them. And then you show them scripture. You show them appropriate uh, steps to take. And if they're going to say, well, I appreciate it, it's not for us to say, oh, yeah, I can understand. It's okay where you are. No, it isn't okay where you are. And at some point, you have to say, look, where you are, and, and, and I don't like to say this, but I've had to say that to individuals in, in some cases. What you are doing is walking away from Jesus Christ, not toward him. Make no mistake, according to Scripture, that's where you're going. And so we don't continue to waste time because our time is valuable, and we need to cut those things off at appropriate times. Subject for another podcast, though. Um, what's the effectiveness trait here? Oh, no, we did that. I'm sorry. We, we talked about that effectiveness trait. Thank you, Jonathan. Being willing to change or compromise. That's what we're talking about. Okay, <laughs> let's go finally one last time to the art of effective communication, Marcus Alexander Velasquez, and he's talking about our actions actually reveal who we are. This is telling. Your actions will either promote or nullify your words. See, direct communication and effective communication is a two-way street. What do I mean by that? That means that if you're not the one speaking and communicating, you should be actively listening. You shouldn't focus on more than one thing at a time, and you should give your focus, your attention, and your respect to the speaker the same way you would want it if you were the one speaking. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If we want us to, to be heard, we should be listening. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have been partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm unto the end. Be, but encourage one another day after day. That's where our communication needs to be parked. Jonathan, what's our last effectiveness trait? This is simple. Be Christ-like. It's simple. It is. For we as Christians to become effective communicators requires our best efforts at being Christ-like. Only when we focus all aspects of our communication through the lens of walking in Jesus' footsteps can we hope to connect with others on the highest level. That's really what it boils down to. We want to connect on the highest level. How do you do that? You become Christ-like. Developing Christian communication, Jonathan, what do we have? Developing the ability to effectively reach out and communicate is a profoundly valuable investment of our time. As those who represent Christ, we must strive to represent Jesus and the gospel and not ourselves in all of our communications. So it's really important for us to realize that what I represent is everything. What, what I represent is everything. And I have to ask myself, am I willing to be representing something that is higher than me, that is stronger than me? It's Christ in you, the hope and glory. It's not you in you. It's not your opinion. It's the Holy Spirit guiding you. Folks, our communication has to be focused on glorifying God through Jesus. And we do that by reaching out, by understanding, by being compassionate, by listening, by really listening, and by responding, and by lifting up, and by using scripture, and by giving principles, and living, living what we are communicating. It's, it's, it's great to say to somebody what the truth is, but do I live it? There's so much to this. Take it one small step at a time. Learn the art of listening. Learn the art of compassion. 
learn the art of the wisdom of truth. Put these together and communicate with those around you. You can change their lives and you'll change yours as well. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, am I failing as a Christian? Am I failing as a Christian? Talk to you next week.